if the goal of the regulator is to have more jurisdiction and the other regulators are not asserting their jurisdiction, the one that has a confirmed leader is going to expand their jurisdiction at the expense of some of the other regulators. The SEC is claiming a lot of jurisdictional territory, and some of those crypto companies are obviously not very happy about it. They were really happy with the idea of finding some way to fit under an OCC payments charter or fit under some other type of bank charter, but didn't want to be classified as securities and didn't want to have to deal with that regulatory regime. Making sure government doesn't screw things up. Hi all, my name is Julie Verhage Greenberg and I am the co-founder of FinTech Today. And I'm John Pitts, Global Head of Policy at Plaid. And this is the Policy Podcast where we dive into all things FinTech policy. Or as much as we can cover in 20 minutes. <laughs> John, there's a, we're, we're going to dive into 2022 themes as well, so I don't uh, know this how is much really... we're, <laughs> we're going to cover in 20 minutes. Uh, this is where the <laughs> podcast reaches its breaking point. Yeah, we're going to have to like actually talk at like 1.2, 1.5 speed just to make sure we can at least fit some things in. <laughs> uh, or we just spin up like the Patreon page where people can get members and hear the full extended director's cut of two hours of us talking about this stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But both of us had some very refreshing holidays. Um, but while we were out, John, there there was some pretty big movement in DC leaders. I, I didn't even know this until like three days later because I was good. <laughs> and like stayed away from my computer as much as I could. Uh, but one of the, the leaders that we uh, interviewed on our podcast is stepping away as of what, February 4th, Yelena. February 4th, Yelena McWilliams will no longer be the chair of the FDIC, uh, which as you and I talked about uh, right before the podcast, that means that none of the bank regulators other than the CFPB are going to have a Senate confirmed head. And I've not done the research to check this, but my guess is that we've never had that environment before in financial services regulation. And it, it's kind of crazy. How long could this go on too? Like, are there people that are close to getting confirmed where this might be something that only lasts for a couple months or could this actually drag out a while? Uh, so it's a great question. I think the next person likely to get uh, confirmed is assuming the White House uh, nominates Sarah Bloom Raskin, which appears to be what's likely for the vice chair role at the Federal Reserve. That's the, the Federal Reserve officer in charge of bank supervision and regulation. Uh, she has a, a, a well-regarded history in D.C. Uh, she was at the FDIC prior, and so I, I would expect her to have a relatively easy confirmation path. So that's the fastest person. But fast in government, we're still talking like two months. <laughs> and then the OCC needs someone. The OCC hasn't had a leader for over a year at this point. Uh, and the FDIC will need a new nominee. Julie, I hate to say it, but I think until you have a full slate of regulatory leaders, you're talking about midsummer at the earliest for when all of those agencies have a Senate confirmed head. And I think that, you know, the thing that is interesting slash concerning to me about that is we've really hit this point where there are critical decisions that matter to any fintech company that have to get made where like you know 
you can't put them off any longer. And it's really hard for agencies to make those decisions without that Senate confirmed leader. Um, and so we're a little bit entering into this sort of twilight space, uh, maybe for a <laughs> while where Director Chopra sort of, I think he's going to move forward full steam, but it means that the other agencies are, are going to be sort of flat footed at best for quite some time. So on my end, as a, a founder of a company that's not too much in the regulatory space, we just write about it and do fun podcasts about it. It makes my job more interesting, like have more to talk about and things to watch and whatnot. But as a global head of policy at a large fintech, how does this impact your job? Um, I think it's a fairly significant impact. I, I don't know if you uh, have heard the sort of uh, nerd term, the regulatory perimeter before, but it's it's this concept of, you know, what is the full scope of coverage by a regulatory agency? And if you look at something like the OCC, over the 150 years of their existence, they've gradually expanded what types of institutions they cover. And the way I think about that is sort of every time you expand the coverage, you're creating a new larger rubber band. And the, the reason I say rubber band is there is some flexibility in it, Right. You can stretch it a little bit here and there to cover new things and or deal with change. But at a certain point, the rubber band is either going to break. That was the Office of Thrift, thrift Supervision when uh, they said, hey, anyone who wants to be a thrift, come be regulated by us. And AIG and a bunch of other companies bought a small savings and loan and were like, even though it looks like we're a trillion-dollar insurance company, actually we're a small mom-and-pop savings and loan. Why don't you regulate us? Uh, <laughs> and then you have the financial crisis or someone expands and gives you a bigger rubber band. And I think right now on things like data access, on things like uh, buy now, pay later, on things like crypto, we are the rubber band has been as stretched as far as it can be stretched in that regulatory perimeter. And either it's going to break, and for fintech companies that don't have the right answer on sort of how policy affects them, you have a really messy time where that break starts affecting your core business or you get someone to come in and say here's what the bigger rubber band is going to look like and my concern over the next six months is who's going to give us that new rubber band uh and i mean that's that's how it impacts me for you that might be great because it means there might be a lot of drama <laughs> to cover over the next couple of months i love drama we're <laughs> gonna have so don't. much to talk about on here john <laughs> this is it's gonna make this job for you easier it's gonna be making your main job maybe a little bit trickier than what it has been in the past before but i, I have a feeling you like that excitement just a little bit i, I like it i'll <laughs> confess i like it a little bit and i will say for for the stuff that I'm most interested in, consumer data rights and sort of the digitization of financial services, I think there is a little bit of good news, which is the one place that does have a director uh, is Director Chopra at the CFPB. And for most fintech companies, the CFPB is likely to be their key regulator, right? The one that they care about the most because they have jurisdiction over a lot of non-bank companies. Um, he has come in with an immense amount of energy. Um, if you look at sort of late October, uh, a bunch of fintech companies and tech companies got a letter from him saying, hey, tell us about how you're doing payments. That, that sort of set people scrambling. Um, and he has made clear that in 2022, his top priority or one of his top priorities is doing a data access rule 
that will really lay the architectural landscape in regulation for how fintechs use their data, how they get consumer data, how they're able to share consumer data. So in that area, I feel very good about the year ahead, and I think we are about to see some really significant fundamental shifts in regulation. The thing where I get a little bit more concerned is, you know, as banks start doing things like buy now, pay later, or fintechs start partnering with banks on buy now, pay later, or other things, the CFPB is clearly interested uh, but you also have real OCC, FDIC, Federal Reserve issues. You have Fed now that's supposed to come for real-time payments in the next year and a half. If you don't have the confirmed leaders there, that can make business really, really tricky for the fintechs that have really specific issues with those agencies. Hasn't Fed now been like supposed to come for like two or three years now? <laughs> uh, yes, but th they are technically <laughs> ahead of schedule. But I think it's, uh, you know, just like every week is infrastructure week uh, in Washington, <laughs> D.C., uh, every week is Fed now week in uh, in payments world. So one agency that is not a bank regulator, but is a regulator that we watch is the SEC, and yeah. they have um, a leader in there. Uh, how does that impact what themes we might be looking at for 2022? Obviously, they look at more like the brokerage space, cryptocurrencies, things like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things, can I, can I give you a, a very brief, very cynical take on how regulatory agencies can work with each other? Of course. Um, okay. Not, not necessarily endorsing this. This is me trying to channel public choice uh, theory. But what a regulator wants is more jurisdiction, right? They want to cover more of the market. And there's an argument that, and actually, you saw this with uh, the Office of Thrift Supervision back when they still existed. There's one of my favorite pictures ever is a picture of a we're going to cut the red tape on regulation uh, photo op that the OTS and FDIC did with some bank trade associations. And in that picture, everyone's holding a giant pair of hedge clippers to show that they're like cutting the red tape. And the director of the Office of Thrift Supervision is holding a chainsaw, right? And clearly the message is like, <laughs> they're going to use hedge clippers. I'm going to use a chainsaw. Come be regulated by me. I'm the guy with the chainsaw to get rid of the red tape for you. But the argument goes that like, if the goal of the regulator is to have more jurisdiction and the other regulators are not asserting their jurisdiction, the one that has a confirmed leader is going to expand their jurisdiction at the expense of some of the other regulators. And I think in the sort of DeFi, crypto, Web3 world, what you're starting to see right now is the SEC is claiming a lot of jurisdictional territory, and some of those crypto companies are obviously not very happy about it, right? They were really happy with the idea of finding some way to fit under an OCC payments charter or fit under some other type of bank prudential charter, uh, but didn't want to be classified as securities and didn't want to have to deal with that regulatory regime. Dive into that a little bit, though. For someone that doesn't know as much about the differences between the two, what's the benefit or like what does the do the crypto com companies argue is their benefit to being regulated by the OCC under the payments umbrella versus a, a security? Yeah, so so the I think the core argument there is is the thing they're offering more like uh, a 
you know, a bank or the ability to transfer funds between people in a way that a bank does? Or is it more like a stock or a bond, a security that people can invest in and that fluctuates? And I think the key advantage from the uh, the crypto side, although I'm sure I will have lots of crypto people tell me that I don't understand it as well as they do, is the regime that is used for uh, for managing consumer protection. In the SEC world, the regime is you file paperwork about each security, right? You do a 10K, you, you, you list the security and provide hundreds and hundreds of pages of like, these are all the things that may go wrong with this security. If you want to buy it anyway, like buyer beware, we've given you this full disclosure. That's really different than bank regulation, which is fundamentally based on safety and soundness, but also sort of confidential resolution between you and your regulator when things are going wrong. That's the supervisory process. Sometimes there can be public enforcement, but it really is a, the regulator literally sits in your office and watches what you do and makes sure you, sure you do it right so that consumers aren't harmed. That's a really different approach from the sort of public disclosure and anyone can sue you if they get mad or feels like the disclosure was inadequate. Um, and I can understand why crypto companies would think that that type of regulatory framework for what their product is, and I think more importantly, for what their ambition is for their product in the future, right? A new type of financial services architecture that fits much better into the prudential regulation framework than it does into the, like, oh, I'm selling you some shares in Apple. Let me tell you all the things that are good or bad about Apple before you buy that share. There is also an argument from some crypto companies, I believe Coinbase was kind of the one leading the charge on this, that there should be a, a new regulator created altogether to regulate crypto. Is there a chance that something like that actually would happen or no? Because uh, taking a step back, it kind of reminds me when uh, we first started covering crypto at Bloomberg, like there wasn't really a crypto team. So you kind of have to try to figure out, okay, who's actually going to write about this stuff? Like, should the Forex team write about it? Should the commodities team write about it? Should the tech team write about it? Uh, should the markets team write about it? All these people and the, everyone, of course, the the stories are getting a ton of hits on the on the website. They're doing really well. So it's going to help your metrics. Everyone's like, I want to write about crypto. I want to get a million page views. Uh, so everyone wants to get their hands in there. And at first it felt like all the regulators are like, eh, I don't really want to mess with this. This is really tricky. And now all of a sudden it feels like all of them kind of want to get their hands on on it. Uh, I, I think that's right. And I'll give you the short answer to your question is no. I don't think there's any realistic chance of a new regulator. In fact, uh, it's funny that we started this conversation talking about the CFPB being the only Senate-confirmed uh, bank regulator because, you know, that agency is only 12 years old at this point, and half of the political uh, spectrum in the United States still does not believe that it should exist, right? Uh, and so the fact that you have someone whose existence and legitimacy is questioned by uh, half of the politicians in this country now is the only confirmed agency gives you a sense of the likelihood that like any new agency is going to be created. We, we just don't have the political environment for something like that. Um, unless, frankly, something goes really, really terribly wrong. Even creating the CFPB required the 2008 financial crisis um, in order to generate sufficient momentum for a new agency to be created. Um, I mean, the SEC... SEC was created by the 1933 and 1934 Act after the 1929 
uh, stock market crash. So uh, I would like to pretend that there's a chance that there could be a new agency just because it's the right idea, but uh, history tells us that only a crisis will create the political will to create a new federal agency for something like this. There was eventually, I think probably six months ago, they started to create a crypto team at Bloomberg. So they did dedicate a team at Bloomberg. Maybe the government will end up dedicating one too. But it doesn't sound like this is something that you think will be a a big surprise in 2022. What, What else do you think could surprise us this year in terms of fintech regulation? So, uh, I think the biggest likely surprises uh, are going to be, um, one, do we really start getting traction from uh, the Federal Reserve in particular in thinking about a U.S. dollar stable coin that's issued by the federal government? Um, We've gotten some initial indications from them, but it's not enough to sort of, it's still a, we want to look more into this and decide how important it is. I think it would, it would, I would be surprised if we see it this year, but not shocked if we really see some more decisive action on what is the federal government's role going to be in issuing digital currency uh, and what path are we on. Um, I think the next big surprise or, or interesting development is going to be how much jurisdiction the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau asserts over non-bank fintech companies. Um, We saw a little bit of that, as I said earlier, at the end of the year with the uh, request that Facebook, Google, uh, PayPal, Square, uh, I'm sure I'm leaving someone out of that list, Uh, Amazon, I think is the last one, that they provide some information on their payment system. I think that there are companies out there who have not paid attention to the CFPB who don't think of themselves as financial services companies who are going to be surprised to find that they actually are financial services companies. And I think that's going to be a really interesting development. Um, And then the next one is going to be like, I think the relationship between banks and fintechs is going to change this year. I think we've seen real progress uh, with regulators starting to sort of do some of the work about what the rules for bank and fintech relationships are. I also think we've started to see the banks really decide that the types of offerings that fintechs have are offerings they want to make as well. You've got bank, buy now, pay later, right? Uh, you've got uh, moves into being able to do peer-to-peer money movement from, uh, from banks. I think it's not just going to be more regulatory support for collaboration. I think we're going to see more direct and intentional competition from the banks with the fintechs over you know, who can offer the best consumer app and who can offer uh, products that look very similar to non-bank fintech products, since that's clearly where the consumer demand is moving. What about you? What are you seeing as like the big trends uh, in, the, in the fintech space? Uh, My prediction would be, it goes along with the first one that you mentioned around um, crypto and regulation. I think that, you know, things actually end up moving a little bit quicker than um, what we would expect in this space. And I think it's just because the adoption of it has been just absolutely wild. Um, And Gary Gensler seems to want to spend a lot of time focusing on it as well. I think it's going to be really messy. 
Uh, I think a lot of crypto companies are going to be upset. I think we're going to uncover a lot of things that have been going on that are just need to be changed and whatnot. Um, so that that's my big call. So I'm prepared to talk a lot about crypto regulation and DeFi and all these things. But I don't know if it necessarily will be the first half of the year, but I would think by the second half we'll be talking about this a lot like next fall. We should call Chairman Gensler and see if we can get him on the program and give us a preview of what that's going to look if like. If anyone listening has an in, or if, if Chairman Gensler himself is listening, I would love to have you on here. So reach out to us. I'm julietfintechtoday.co. <laughs> uh, and I'm at Policy Pits on Twitter. Uh, there you and, go. <laughs> and very available to everyone. Anything else that you think is sort of a, a burning issue in 2022 that we should get everyone ready for as uh, as everyone recovers from their holiday hangover and gets ready to start work again? I don't think we're going to get a new chair at the FDIC for a little bit. And I was talking to one of our, our mutual friends in the, the regulatory circuit, and they said that they can actually operate a quorum with with just three, which they would have already. And Marty would be the next logical one to come in and take over, but there might not be a reason to do that. So we could not have a leader at the FDIC for a while. Um, I think that would be something that we we can watch as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one to watch. I think it's also uh, going to be really interesting to see without those leaders, what are the innovation offices that all of those agencies do? Because, I mean, particularly at the FDIC, where Yelena brought in a really strong innovation lead and in her last year in office, uh, put some real work into making the FDIC more accessible to fintechs. Does uh, Chairman Grunberg, as acting chairman, sort of continue that push to open the doors to innovators? Or Mm -hmm. uh, is there a little bit of retrenching and do the agencies especially as they start doing real rulemaking in the fintech space, suddenly become less accessible to the fintechs that want to talk to them. Yeah, no, that would be a, a big deal for sure. Because I think there's been a lot of effort, in particular over the last like one to two years, put into these innovation teams. Uh, and the talent that's on them, I'm assuming if they feel like they're not that important anymore, they will easily go find a job somewhere else too. Yeah. I mean, it may be the time if you are a fintech that has been contemplating talking to the FDIC or the OCC, uh, this might be the time to do it because, you know, the door could be closing depending on who gets nominated and what they view as the role of innovation in their agency. Well, we hopefully will have Gensler on our next episode in February. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll start emailing right now. There we go. Perfect. Uh, CC me on it. Um, but otherwise, thank you so much for listening, you guys, to the, the policy podcast with FinTech Today and Plaid. John, it was a pleasure talking to you again this year. I'm excited for what we're going to cover in 2022. I think there's going to be a lot for us to look at. Happy 22. I hope it's going to be an exciting one. Bye.